the most action-packed content from the top mobile experts. This is the App Masters Podcast with Steve P. Young. Reaching the right users at the right time is crucial for any successful marketing campaign, and app marketing is no exception. Through keyword and market insights, searchads.com can help your Apple search ads campaign to find the most valuable prospects and convert them into users in the most effective way possible. Advanced automation tools can take care of the busy work so you can focus on the things that really matter. Go to searchads.com to start your free trial today. That, once again, is searchads.com. Check ASO is an analytical ASO platform that provides you with up-to-date data on keywords, competitors, ratings, and reviews. It also grades your ASO level and gives you custom tips on how to improve it. This way, you can increase your app page visibility, organic traffic, and installs with every update. Try it now for free for seven days at checkaso.io. That once again is checkaso.io. What is up, App Nation? It is Steve Pion, founder of AppMasters.com, the place you go when you want action-packed content related to helping you grow your downloads and more importantly, those revenues. And today I've got a phenomenal guest. We're going to talk all about he built a large community with his first company, Kindlepreneur, and he now runs seven different companies, including a software development company that you guys might be interested. Go check out HirePaladin.com, and that's linked up into the show notes. But without further ado, he was the creator of Kindlepreneur, went on to build this very successful business, teaching others how he made a living and quitting you know, his army gig by building this, a lot of writing, a lot of Kindle books. And so we're going to talk all about that. But without further ado, let me introduce the guest. His name is Dave Chesson. And like I said, he's the founder of Kindle Manure, but he's the founder of a lot of companies that we'll dive into. But Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Dave, let's take it back to where we first started. You know, our mutual friend, Nick, Nick Loper from Side Hustle Nation. I took a chance. I listened to your episode with him just to do some research on this interview. You started out writing books. And you're just writing books on the side. Like, Talk to me about that journey and then now eventually to the seven companies. We'll get there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, first off, I grew up with um, dyslexia, so I never really thought I'd be a writer. And while I was in the military, the military deployed me all the way to Korea without my family. And so I was like, hmm, you know, I need to find something to do here. Uh, more importantly, my wife had said, hey, uh, is your goal career to be like an admiral or anything? I was like, no. She's like, mm, we need to figure this out. I said, okay, so what's going to be the extra strategy? So I started learning about online marketing and, you know, how to use the internet for research and things like that. And when I got into writing books, I wasn't a good enough writer to just sit down and write anything I wanted and it to be pure gold, right? Instead, what I did was I started to understand the Amazon market. Who goes to Amazon? What are they typing in? How are they searching for books? What books are they looking for? What things do they want to learn, but they're not finding? And when mm. I started to really get into that and understand what we now call Amazon SEO, because search engine optimization, I found a lot of opportunities to write on different subjects. And that gave me a competitive advantage because now all I had to do was write a good book instead of a masterful book. And that started me in the career of writing. I did that for many years. 
And at one point I was able to make more money from my books than I was as a Lieutenant commander in the Navy. And um, I started writing about these processes and how I did what I did on kindlepreneur.com. Uh, that kind of gave it unique because most people talk about, oh, you know, you do this marketing and you write this. And I was like, well, let's look at the data and let's look at sales trends and use that to help make better decisions. Mm. Um, so that really gave us a leg up in the industry. I got into software, though, because I was constantly selling a software called Kindle Samurai. And Kindle Samurai was made by uh, this great person who, you know, I've become friends with since, but uh, he was just a programmer. He didn't understand the market. He built this quick little tool that I used in helping to get some of the data. But here's the kicker. It only worked on PC. It did not work on Mac. And on top of that, half the components or features were broken because it wasn't something this guy was truly devoted to. Um, also, this person was Israeli. He didn't speak English very well, so there wasn't much support. And yet every day I was selling a whole bunch of this. And I'm like, ah, man, if I could just develop this, but fix this and make it work on both Mac and PC, I would have something. And then on top of that, here's a couple of things that I would do differently. So I got to work trying to find programmers to help me build this because I am not a programmer by trade. And to really fast forward on it, I got very lucky to an extent, found a great talented programmer. Um, and we built KDP Rocket, which we now call Publisher Rocket because it's expanded dramatically since the first concept. Um, I sold it, I or excuse me, I was selling it. It was growing like crazy. Everything was awesome. And then I started realizing, well, if I want to keep improving this, I need a stronger understanding of software, software development, software management. I need better control on who I can hire as software developers and somebody who can't do development, I can't interview this person and figure out, oh yeah, this guy actually knows he's talking. No, I couldn't. So I had to find the right team. And so that mm -hmm. led me into buying into a company, a software development company. Um, and that has run really, really well. And just two months ago, I took over a CEO for that company. Um, but through Paladin, Paladin. Yep, that's it. Okay. Through Paladin, uh, I've been able to kind of use the capabilities of the company to build many tools, uh, many different companies as well, and work with a lot of incredible people. And so that's kind of a quick wrap up to where I am today. No, I love that. Now let's let's peel back certain sections of that. And so we see the full picture here where you got there. What I want to understand is how were you like, was it a few years in that you were making these books, you're making a living? Did you put something aside to then be like, hey, let me build this software that is now, I think you said is publisher reach now. But what, where were you in that state of mind before you, when you're like, all right, let's build this software? Well, let's see. I had been writing books uh, for about a year and a half. And it was at about that moment when I was making more money for my books than I was as a full-time lieutenant commander in the Navy. Um, while doing that, I was also building up Kindlepreneur, writing articles, doing SEO, getting more and more organic traffic. And about three years from when I started the entire journey is when I realized I needed to make my own software, mm. that I was selling this one and it needed um, it took me about a year to really get that project off the ground. And then it was another two years or so of, of struggling because I didn't have the right programmers. And I was like, oh my goodness, if I could just get somebody who could do this, it'd be great. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, that was kind of the timetable to get to where I got. Got it. I like that. Thank you for sharing that because I think it's, you know, we see it from the, the outside 
looking in, it's like, holy cow, that was quick, pop, 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 pop. But then, yeah. you know, you know, it takes a while. One of the key things that I really love the interview, and I'll link that link up Nick's interview with you. But you talked about like having outside sources, like obviously doing the research. And, you know, we talk a lot about that too, from the app side of things, doing a lot of market research to see what's trending, where are the sales trends, and then making sure there, you know, there's traffic for a certain keyword, and then there's low difficulty. And then what I want to hit on next is you said, make sure you have sources from other places, not just relying on people searching on Kindle, but make sure you have, you know, you mentioned Quora, and I don't know if the strategies have changed, but make sure you have outside traffic coming into that main Kindle page. Yeah, from a book perspective, it's really important that you have multiple uh, traffic streams. However, though, I'm a little different when it comes to software. I uh, A lot of people, when they build apps or they build software, what they'll do is they'll have an idea, then they'll invest into creating the MVP, the minimum value product. And then they hope that there's market stick. You know, They hope that they're able to cross the chasm, all these other components. I, I don't really like that pro process. Um, I prefer that I know that I actually have the market before I build the product for the market. Uh, it makes it so much easier. I don't have to do, you know, uh, I don't have to bank on an MVP. I don't have to bank on product market fit. I don't have to bank on all these things and hope and pivot and agile. What I do is, like, for example, with Kindlepreneur, I knew I had the market. I knew that they wanted this product. If I was selling that much of this one thing and it was only half my market because it only worked on PC, my goodness, I double at least. I double because I now made it for Mac and PC. And oh, by the way, I'm not getting half the pay. I'm getting all the pay. So I knew from the get-go that it was going to quadruple what I was already doing. And that's without doing any ads or anything beyond what it is. Um, when I build a lot of other software, another thing that I'll do is I'll partner with people who have that traffic and I'll help to provide that solution for them. That's a great combination. It's like you go into building a software knowing you're going to make the right thing and that you know the market's already there. It makes the whole process that much easier. I like how and you I guess, said, hey, and, I don't have the market. That's a, yeah, and that's ahead. another thing about the books too. I did the same thing with books. I didn't want to sit down and write an entire book only to find out nobody cares. Yeah. You know, I didn't. Now that's to say, if you do your market research, you're like, okay, there's nobody on Amazon looking for this book. It doesn't mean you can't make that book. What it means is you can't depend on Amazon to sell it for you. You mm. now have to do all these other marketing efforts. All right. You got to go find the market, grab them by the neck, drag them to your product and hope it converts. I don't like that. I never did that with books. I don't do that with software. Do you do any type of keyword research on the website of things when, before you're writing a book? Because I want to see if there's ways, one of the things I'm thinking about, Dave, and I'll just get straight to the point where it's like, how do you rank well on Google for people searching for, let's say, motivational app or like, you know, book writing app, right? Like, how do you rank well for it? Just you leveraging Apple and Google's SEO juice versus trying to build up your own SEO juice. And you can do that too, but I'm not I'm saying, you know, Apple and Google have their own SEO juice that you might be able to utilize. And that's sort of what you talked about in Nick's interview was like, hey, you know, Amazon's got great SEO juice. So start building up so that your book ranks really well on Google too. Yeah. Um, from a book perspective, absolutely. Um, it's a little bit harder now though, because since I had that interview with Nick, uh, Google that was a while this, ago. It was, <laughs> It was yeah. 2015. Yeah, that's I'm right. I'm making you go deep into your memory. Oh, it's that one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I had even created Publisher Rocket when no, I had you, done that You interview. had just done it, I think. I think I had, yeah, I think I had just launched it maybe. Yeah. Um, Boy, that'd be interesting to go back and listen to now. <laughs> I did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so Google made a change where 
that Google sort of like anti Amazon at this point, they don't want to send people to an Amazon store. So mm. they're really reluctant to let a book rank well in Google results. Um, but you bring up a really good point about Google SEO for terms like best writing software or whatever. Uh, that is a really good area. But what I love to do is you look at your competitors. Okay. And terms like the name of the competitor plus the word alternative. Okay. So like, say I was in grammar software, I would say grammarly alternative. I would love to rank for that because what it is, is people who have acknowledged grammarly is there, but that's not what I want. What are the other things? And I would love to get my software in front of those people, right? I don't have to compete with grammarly. The person's already typed it into Google that they don't want it. They want something else. Um, best of, you know, best book writing software, best grammar checker. Um, the, that's a great term as well. Another one that people that I love to do is this versus this, um, mm. you know, thinkific versus teachable. And oh, by the way, if I, if I created a course, um, marketplace or something like that, I would just add another versus at the end. Uh, you know, so if you're doing like Scrivener versus Google Docs versus Atticus, right? Mm -hmm. So when people type in Scrivener versus Google Docs, they're going to see this third one. And I might not be the popular one they think of, but now they're like, I'd much rather read that article that compares three than just the two I was looking at, because here's a new challenger. These are all great terms, I would say, that anybody developing an app should really think about because they're not very competitive. Most people don't think to do those, but they're yeah. the right kind of market. And one of the other things you said was cheapest too. I think you wrote in a different article that I went through yep. on Explorer. Right. You talked about cheapest as well. Yep. Cheapest, blah, blah, blah. These are all the kind of terms or uh, also coupon discount. You know, uh, those are a great opportunity as well. If, if there is a software out there, you know, your main competitor, um, there's always people that type in the name of it and plus coupon. And maybe the article says, look, uh, there is no coupon. They don't offer one. Uh, you might be able to wait till, you know, or maybe they did some special on like Black Friday. You can talk about that, but then you could say, but there's actually a cheaper option. And then you can introduce what it is that you have. So these are all these opportunities where from an SEO perspective, it's a lot easier to rank for. Most people don't think to go for it. And that can build you a bunch of sources of traffic to come to your new software. I like it. Okay. The... Other thing, Atticus, just so you guys know, the audience is a progressive web app, and I've gotten a lot of questions. So I want to talk to you about that too, Dave. But before I do, you did mention that before you built the other the software package, you said, I already knew how much I was sending to Kindle Samurai. Like, were mm -hmm. you an affiliate? And that's why you just had the sales data ready to go? Yep, exactly. Okay. I knew that every day I was selling two to three of them. So I was like, <laughs> all right, well, if, if that's two to three PC, then yeah. if I made one for Mac and PC, then that should be four to six a day, right? Yeah. Uh, just assuming that it's a 50-50 split between Mac and PC at the time. And then on top of that, instead of getting paid half, I get paid the full. So it was a, like it was it. a pretty easy numbers game. It's, it's one of these things where you just have an unfair advantage, right? Like you have the audience, you already know the sales numbers that you're sending and it's just like math. And then, then you're, you set yourself up to win. Okay, progressive web app. I know nothing about this. And I've gotten questions about that. So I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I'm always about native. So why did you do it, decide to do it? Because Atticus works on, you know, the PC, the Mac, tablets, Chromebook, everywhere. Why did you decide to get into progressive web app and 
tell me what you've learned from like as somebody who I've no, I've no, I know nothing about this. I'm probably the short sure. an, the short answer is take that apple. There are there. So um, the long answer is this: uh, as the owner of Publisher Rocket, uh, which is a downloadable app for Mac and PC, um, Apple is making it harder and harder to work within their ecosystem. Uh, they say that this is because this is to protect the Apple users. Really, all it is is just a cash grab. And quite frankly, um, I'm kind of sick of it. Uh, what they want is they want you to have to go through their app store. What they don't tell you is that if you, if you go through their app store, they're going to take 30% even if they didn't send the traffic. So if my website, Kindle Printer, sends somebody to go download it on the App Store, I gotta give them 30, 30%. And I'm like, man, seriously? And each time they come out with a new operating system, they're making it harder and harder. Yeah. Um, and so I see the writing of the wall and that sounds like a very Apple tactic. Um, not that I'm an Apple hater, I am on an Apple, but uh, you know, it sounds, sounds like something they do. Progressive web app though, is kind of a way around it all. Uh, I think it's there's a lot of future to this. A progressive web app at its basic is kind of like a Chrome browser. It's a browser. It's not even Chrome. I'm not going to call it that. It's a browser. And that it allows me to house my software on a server where the software I can update instantaneously on the server and it just happens to update everywhere. So I don't have to have people update, download, delete, whatever. They just refresh. And then all of my work happens instantaneously. So that's good. The second thing is I don't have to worry about virus protectors, issues with, you know, Norton just did an update or uh, or even worse when Apple came out with Catalina uh, way back when that was like a giant headache. I don't have to deal with that. Why? Because it's a browser. Um, and so I don't have to deal with those things anymore. And then what's really cool about PWAs, progressive web apps, is that I can download it. Like it, what's neat is that in truth, when I quote unquote download it, there is an icon on my Mac with my software's dog face on it. Cause that's what we use for Atticus. Um, and on a PC, there is an icon with the dog on it. And when you click it, it opens up what feels like a software, but all it is is a browser and the software is inside of it. So to the user, it looks and feels like a downloaded software. And to the, uh, to the computer, it's a browser. To the virus protector, it's a browser. To iTunes, it's a browser. And so now we don't have this problem anymore. And one more really cool component to this, and this is where really advanced programming comes in, but uh, luckily when you got the right team, it makes it great. We can um, have it where you don't have to be logged on in order to use it. And on top of that, and there's certain functions that need to be, uh, you need to be online for, but most of it, you don't. Wow. And on top of that, we're actually designing it where it can locally store files as well and still be within the whole, it's a browser component. So for my writers, it's important that they write somewhere that doesn't have internet. If they can't write their book because we need internet, then that's not good for them. Uh, on top of that, while they love the fact that we back up automatically on our server, you know, and their writing's always safe in that component, they also want to have a hard, you know, a, a local copy. With the PWA, because of what we've done, 
they get all the worlds. They get the best of all the worlds. And I don't have to deal with uh, Norton or any of these companies trying to undermine it or cause problems. I don't have to deal with Linux people getting mad at me because it doesn't work. I don't have to get, you know, Chromebook people after me because it doesn't work. It just works. And uh, so a lot of benefits and little uh, issues. But then I guess the, the con, if there is one, would be that you're sort of reliant on making sure that you drive the traffic to the app versus, you know, the benefit maybe being on an Apple or Google is you'll get people searching for book writing software and then find Atticus. That's true. Um, you're right. And if I put, I could still put it on those markets, right? As a um, PWA? I, you know, that's actually a good question. To tell you the truth. I, don't I have know. no idea. That's, that's all I'm question. asking. <laughs> I don't know either. Um, okay. You would have to look into that. That was a really good question. Um, that being said, perhaps, uh, but for me as a solution, I mean, I started this project knowing that I had the market. Yeah. Um, or I would say to people who are like, well, I don't have a, you know, a, um, you know, what you can do, you can always partner with somebody. Uh, that's one of the things I've really enjoyed in partnerships. Uh, while I have seven companies, three of them I own solely, uh, four of them I have partners. And each one of those partners has a capability or background that brings a lot to the table. And that makes it much more palatable where we're sharing the responsibilities because I absolutely respect what they bring. Uh, sometimes I'm bringing the fact that I have a software development company behind me and I can help build the tools. That person has a market that I normally wouldn't have access to. In another company, this person runs an entire bank system in a certain country. That helps us get through a whole bunch of other things. Um, in another one, the person is a big times weapon specialist with a whole, um, who's a lawyer, uh, a firearms attorney, and believe me, that has helped in a lot of the issues there. Um, and so it's really finding that partner that has what it is you need most, and then you bring to the table the other opponent. I think that's a really good, um, I don't want to say marriage because that sounds terrible, uh, but that, that's a really good combination. Yeah, I agree. I'm building an app with a partner. And it's the first time I've ever doing it. And we know each other for a few years now, but it's like, way more fun like i'm used to just being on my own and i'm like wow this is way more fun he gets to do some work we're not both not technical but we have somebody that we trust that is technical but anyways at the same time it's like all right he's handling this part i'm handling this part it's way more fun things move quicker yeah on that, absolutely on that partnership angle what are some of the tips that you've learned maybe some of the hard lessons that you learned because i've had partnerships go wrong too so what are what are some of the things that we using all your knowledge and years to building up these partnerships, what have you learned? You're like, Hey, stay away from these things. Well, first thing is, is that you have to have absolute like legit respect for that person and what they bring. Mm. Uh, I, I said that a bit earlier, but let, let me really add to it. There was somebody who I thought I once made a partnership and I thought the person was really good because they had knowledge. The problem is, is that I found that there were certain things to their thought process that I didn't have a lot of respect for. And when you first partner up, it's like, it is a wedding in a way. It's, it's like a honeymoon where, you know, the person can't do wrong. Oh, okay. You know, I can look past that. Oh, you know, but then when you're in the thick of things, it starts to become a divorce and then it gets ugly. Yeah. Um, luckily this didn't end ugly. I think this just ended mutually and just kind of broke apart. But what I realized was, is that when I look at finding a partner, I mean, I got to literally look at them and say, if that guy said anything in, in his area, right. 
And, and even if I didn't think it was right, I would just go with it because that person is a specialist. That's a good sign. And you hope that they feel the same way about you as well. And if you know that you both respect each other in that, I think that's big. Uh, to go back to the weapons, I'm not a weapons specialist. I do have a background in it, um, but he knows the weapons industry. And I think he's one of the smartest in that. And he has connections. He knows just about everybody. Uh, you know, he got us access to Sig Sauer and, you know, a whole bunch of all these other big companies because of that. If he said, hey, Dave, the gun community would not like this, I'm not going to argue with that. Done deal. But he also knows my marketing component as well as my behind the scenes and systems and buildings and things like that, where I've been like, nope, we're going to do this. And he's like, okay. You know, and that because he respects what I've done, I respect what he's done. So I think that that absolute respect is important. Not to say that, oh, this sounds convenient. And by the way, I always think of the word convenient as the biggest red flag possible. If I, if I start to think that something seems convenient or, you know, it'd be convenient if we did this, I, that's when you got to pump the brakes and say to yourself, whoa, 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 you know, am I doing it because that seems the easiest? Like, or is that actually the right decision? So if you ever think it would be convenient because two people have the same idea and that can maybe make things easier, ugh, pump the brakes there, really ask the hard questions and make sure that there's unquestionable respect for what they bring to the table. Another component to partnership is I would say, this isn't, I'm trying to generalize my statements here, but if I ever think to myself, ah, I could do that, you know, like that person is doing this thing, but honestly, I could do that. Mm. That's a really bad situation because at some point when the money and the revenue starts coming in, you're going to start to kind of think to yourself, man, you know, I was just lazy. Like I could have done that. The best part is when you're like, there's no way I could have done this without them. That should be your future thought. When you're thinking about partnering with them, if you can't imagine doing it without them, okay, then it's not a good thing to do, all right? Like you need to make sure that you really believe that this can only happen because you two are together. I would say that's a really good sign of a good partnership. But if this is just convenient or you know, I could probably do this without him, but I don't have time. That's the first cracks of the foundation. Are these partners generally warm leads that you've known for some time? Or have you ever gone out cold and be like, hey, we should partner up. Let me help oh, you. Oh, good Lord. No, never do cold. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is a marriage. That's like, to me, I mean, boy, I guess I should have stuck with that word marriage. Um, no, <laughs> like, would you go on a date with a girl and be like, hey, that's cool. You know, and let's get married. Like, yeah. no, 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 no. Um, because in order to have absolute respect in somebody, you have to know them. You know, I, I've, I've dealt with people. I, I have my own adage, and I'm not trying to, to push my religious faith on anybody or anything. Um, but I always say that I love doing business with those who fear God and dishonor. Um, the, the God part, you know, is I love the fact that, that they have that component. But the dishonor part is a core tenant that I think anybody listening to this can, can use. Mm dishonor all right person a may have a phenomenal business idea and they may be really good at business but when things get tough will they make the right decision by people will they fear dishonor and if the answer is no i will never do business with them and i, I won't look down on them i won't judge that's their own thing yeah. but i need somebody who will always do right by the people they if if 
if if the program sucks, oh man, you know what, guys? You're absolutely right. We totally undelivered. Let me make this up to you. That's the kind of person I want to work with. Not, well, you know, I didn't say there's a refund. So, you know, like, no, 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 that's not how it goes. Um, I think it's really important that they fear dishonor. So um, in order to understand the true nature of people, you have to really get to know them. So I would never, again, show up to something and conveniently say, huh, this may work out. Let's do this. Nope, not going to happen. Hey Dave, one of the things I want to talk to you about too is, you know, I do work with people and people in our audience who are building their first app, their first software. Any tips that you can give them? Well, I mean, to kind of recap on some of the things we said, uh, if you're building that app, uh, you may want to look at partnerships now uh, for traffic capital. You know, uh, maybe there's somebody who runs a major website uh, that would be a prime source of it. You know, granted, sometimes an affiliate can seem like that is a partnership. And in truth, by definition, it is. But how are you going to convince like someone really big in the industry to really care? Ownership is a big part. So give that a thought. Um, the other thing is, is that if, say, for example, you don't want to give up ownership or, or a share of the company uh, to someone like that, then I would say um, really make sure that you have a competitive angle in order to get it. I'm not a fan of, you know, the, the field of dreams where if you build it, they will come. Um, that, that's, that's a gamble. You know, I'm going to gamble that I'm going to get a good product and that it's somehow going to get in the right people's hands. Um, so I would really look at for where that entry point will be for you and to make sure that that is a good competitive advantage for you to start with. Yeah, I love it. Nothing on the technical side. It's like just pure marketing. Make sure you have an audience already to go. You know, like I only have this business because I started the podcast way before I figured out how to, how I was going to make money. And I always say like, kind of like what you said, Dave was like, you had the market. I kind of, I kind of figure out what to build after I had the market, but it was because I had the market that's like, all right, now you're getting me into like, hmm, should I be building some software package? Cause I always recommend these other tools too. Now there's no affiliate thing. Cause the app space is a little bit behind, but I'm like, oh, you got my wheels turning, but you know, it is so key to have an audience. If you don't have that, Dave, you know, recommended going out and finding somebody with an audience. And I have a great podcast interview that I'll link you guys up to Dan Parcell, who leverages other people's audience and started his own podcast to really support his app too. So I'll link that up and it's a worth listen for those who yeah, want to learn more about that. A really good um, kind of case study. I don't have the exact data to be able to say the specifics, but you know, back when I think it was Teachable, when they first came around, they started building a board. Yeah. Uh, Pat Flynn became yeah. a member of the board as well as some other uh, big names. And next thing you know, the only thing you ever heard of was teachable. It was the only option, you know, Kajabi, <laughs> Kajabi be gone with you. You know, um, if Pat Flynn, who by the way, is a phenomenal, phenomenal person. Uh, he's one of my favorites out there. If Pat Flynn is going to talk about it, then well, guess where I'm starting with, yeah. um, you know, you can go even back to the days of, of, of a whole bunch of software, but you see that they got buy-in beyond just an affiliate. You know, Pat probably gets hundreds of affiliate requests a year. What's going to make you stand out? And so try to be creative about those sort of things. And that may really get a lot of attention from people that you normally wouldn't be able to get through the gateway. Yeah, I like it. 
I want to talk about this, but I want to make sure we're good on time too. But one, the last thing I want to hit on, this is just selfishly, when you started working with Paladin, how did that relationship go? And how did you decide that, hey, you know, let's, let's buy into this and let's become a part owner in this company? Well, that's a great question. I, so a big part of what makes Paladin uh, beneficial is that the entire team's out of Sri Lanka. And Sri Lanka is a phenomenal place for software development. I actually think it's kind of one of the hidden gems in the world. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but Sri Lanka, which is a teardrop south of India, right? It's a yep. little island there. Um, they <laughs> speak English. Yeah. I had to Google. I was like, where the hell is Sri Lanka? Because one of my main iOS developers is in Sri Lanka. So I completely okay. agree with you. And I was like, where the hell is this place? <laughs> yeah. I, well, I used to live there and that's how I got connected. Um, you know, I used to do a whole bunch of work for the military in Sri Lanka. I now fly back three times a year at least. Wow. Um, but they speak English perfectly. They really do, uh, especially inside the, the capital city of Colombo. Uh, a lot of people don't know, but there's like a Silicon Valley in there. Um, Two thirds of Disney's programming is done out of there. The British wow. um, stock exchange is run out of Sri Lanka. Um, and, and the list just goes on and on. They're phenomenal at it. And the best part is, is that uh, programmers out of Sri Lanka are extremely affordable, like mm -hmm. no joke. Um, and so for me, the first developer for Publisher Rocket uh, was this brilliant uh, Sri Lankan. And then after that, we kind of fell to just kind of average programmers. And I learned the major difference between an above average programmer and a couple of average programmers. Like that's that sucked. Um, and so at that point with some of the guys that I'd done business with there, I said, look, man, I, I I need a bit more access to this, this industry. I need to understand this. I can't be at the mercy of ending up with just average programmers. I need to be able to have more control in the situation. And so we found a company that was existing, uh, run by a, a brilliant programmer. And basically me and another partner came in and bought 35% um, each of the company. So it was 35, 35, and 30. And then we had built out, uh, you know, I brought in a whole bunch of like contract capabilities as well as other projects. Another partner brought in a whole bunch more projects as well. Mm. Um, I'm a bit of a systems integrator person. So I brought in some structure to the team that also gave me access to the kind of numbers to really know what the pricing is like in Sri Lanka. Um, I got heavily involved in studying all of the Sri Lankan development companies so that I understand who's doing what and you know, who's doing what right. Uh, we landed some amazing contracts. We were really uh, digging in, but we had to improve our efficiency. And so that's when I got voted in uh, by the board to be the CEO of the company. Hard to run from the other side of the world, but then again, everybody's kind of locked up in their place. So what's the difference between me being a screen here and there? So it's really worked out. And um, that gave me a lot of, of ability to bring in competitive pricing. In America and to go to people who have major, you know, traffic and say, have you ever thought of, you know, here's an opportunity, we can run the technical side if you want to run the, the marketing side. And so from there, it's really just grown like crazy. Yeah, that's amazing. Congrats on that. That's really cool. Thank you. It's been fun. Yeah. I mean, seven companies. I don't know how you do it. Yeah. Uh, really good uh, team and a phenomenal EA. <laughs> What's an EA? You say uh, executive, uh, oh, okay. executive assistant. That's yep. awesome. Dave, anything I missed that you want to make sure we cover? Hmm. Uh, no, no. I, like I said, I think the biggest thing is, is, uh, value partnerships, but think of it like a marriage.
you know, uh, you wouldn't propose to somebody on the first date. So I like it. make sure it's not convenient. <laughs> Dave, this has been one. absolutely amazing, but let's go to the big finish. Give us one app that we should definitely check out. Hmm. One app. I love, um, I love front front. Uh, yep. Front app. This little guy, uh, basically allows all of the email to come in from all the different companies into one spot. And I can assign the emails to teammates and people can either respond as me or they can respond as the lead programmer. Uh, but it makes kind of handling email as a, as a giant team that much easier. So I've really enjoyed them. Front.com, huh? Yep. I thought yeah. it was like front app, maybe. This is I'm looking at now. Hopefully this is all your places in one. Make millions of customers, your hub for all things communication. Maybe. You let me know if it's okay. Not that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but for right now, we'll assume it's front.com. What's the what's the lesson that took you the longest to learn? It could be business or personal. Well, with regards to programmers, I'll go to the whole, you know, uh, Bill Gates had it right when he said one above average programmer is worth a hundred average programmers. Uh, boy, he nailed that. Um, <laughs> I've seen where one guy just steps in is like, oh, and we go one month quicker because huh, we didn't have to go down that rabbit hole. Uh, so the quality, quality of programming is through the roof and uh, never, never cut any corners when it comes to hiring. Well, guys, if you guys want to learn more about Atticus and learn how to write a book, I think it's one of the best things. I've got a couple of books out there too, where it just builds sort of that thought leadership. People do find us through there. It is Atticus.io. And if you're looking for a software development company, go check out HirePaladinPaladin.com. HirePaladin. That is all linked up into the show notes, into your favorite podcast app. So you ain't got to go anywhere. But while you're listening to this, check out Dave. Dave, if the audience wants to connect with you in any other way, do you want to send them anywhere else? Uh, yeah, if they go to kindlepreneur.com and they, there's a contact page there, hit me up. I'd be more than happy to answer any questions. Awesome. Dave, thank you so much for coming on and doing this. You bet. And thanks for having me. Thank you all for listening. I'll see you on the next chat. Want to increase your downloads and revenue? Check out our new ASO Master Service where we help you with ASO, optimizing your revenue, and we'll even manage your Apple search ads and Google ads. Learn more at asomasters.com. Thanks for listening to the App Masters podcast. For show notes and amazing app marketing content, check out appmasters.co.